0: O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. This morning, we have a great parable from the 13th chapter of the gospel according to Matthew. And this chapter in Matthew is replete with parables. And they are all parables about the kingdom of heaven. And over and over in this chapter, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then He tells a parable to explain it. And we see in this one chapter, not only the parable of the wheat and the tares or the wheat and the weeds that we have this morning, but also the parable of the sower, the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the leaven, the parable of the pearl of great price, the parable of the treasure hidden in the field, and the parable of the net, all of them parables about the kingdom of heaven. And this is no accident, because when you read the Gospel of Matthew, if you go back to the beginning, when Jesus first comes on the scene, his first words that we see recorded in Matthew are that Jesus came preaching and teaching and said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if you look at some other renderings of that verse, the Amplified Bible says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, change your inner self, your old way of thinking, regret past sins, live your life in a way that proves repentance, seek God's purpose for your life, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or more simply in the message, Jesus started preaching, picking up where John left off, change your life for the kingdom of heaven is here. So clearly understanding what the kingdom of heaven is and what it's like and what that means for us is hugely important to Jesus. And so part of what Jesus is getting at in the parable today and in his teaching is that he brings the kingdom that Jesus being incarnate brings God into this world, the world that God made. And what he does through entering this world is to bring the kingdom with him, to bring eternal life. Jesus says in John chapter 17, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so we live in that Era that theologians call the now and the not yet, where the kingdom has come, but it has not yet been fully perfected. It is at work among us through the power of the Holy Spirit, but we have not yet reached that day that we sing about in Handel's Messiah. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. So we are in that now and not yet. And the great Anglican theologian John Stott summed up this passage saying, the most striking feature of these teachings of Jesus is that he was constantly talking about himself. It's true he spoke much about the fatherhood of God and the kingdom of heaven, but then he added that he was the father's son and that he had come to inaugurate this kingdom. Entry into the kingdom depended on men's response to him. He did not hesitate to call the kingdom of heaven my kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is Jesus's rule, set up in the lives of his people by the Holy Spirit. It is spread by witnesses, not by soldiers, through a gospel of love and peace, not a declaration of war, and by the work of the Spirit, not by force of arms, political intrigue, or revolutionary violence. Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God, for in fulfillment of Scripture, god's reign has broken loose into the life of men through the death and resurrection of jesus this reign and rule of god is exercised from the throne by jesus who bestows salvation and expects us to follow him these are the blessing and demand of the kingdom they are two fundamental forces at work in the cosmos god is pulling all things toward him through love, through the cross of Jesus Christ, whereas Satan is fighting every moment against that. As C.S. Lewis put it, there is no neutral ground anywhere in the universe. Every square inch, every second of time is claimed by God and counterclaimed at the same moment by Satan. So as we look at this passage this morning, I want us to address four questions. The first question is who is doing the sowing? The second question is what seed is being sown and for what purpose? The third question is what will be the outcome? And the fourth question, how should we live as a result? And this parable is interesting because as we look at that first question about who's doing the sowing, the answer is different from the earlier parable about the sower and the seed the one where the sower is casting the seed, which is the Word of God, and there are the different types of soil on which it lands. There, the sower is God, and the seed is the Word. But this parable is different, because in this parable, there's not just one sower, there are two sowers. So, the first sower is the Son of Man, which is that great term from the Old Testament that people in Jesus' time would have understood to mean the Messiah. The Son of Man is Jesus Himself, so he is one of the sowers but there is another sower the devil and both of them are sowing into the field which is the world and the church so we have two sowers that are sowing for different reasons what is being sown and for what purpose and the great thing about this parable for the preacher is that Jesus answers all these questions You don't have to speculate because he says, this is what this means. So, he tells us that what is being sown is the good seed, which are, or who are, the sons of the kingdom. That literally, he is sowing sons and daughters of the kingdom into this world and among his people. But also being sown are the weeds, who are the sons and daughters of the evil one. And so Jesus obviously is the one who chooses these images. He is telling us that there is an enemy, that Satan is alive and well, and he is out there trying to wreak havoc on the work that God is doing. And it's interesting when you look at the word that is translated weeds here, because it is a very specific word for something called darnel. And darnel is not something that we're really familiar with much in this country, but in the Holy Land, it grows in exactly the same places and on the same schedule that wheat grows. It germinates at the same time. Its growth rate is very similar. Its buds look exactly like wheat buds, and it is only when the grain finally flowers and comes forth that you can tell darnel from the good wheat And the interesting thing is that if you go and you harvest too early and take the buds off the darnel and you eat them it will make you sick and nauseated and if you eat enough it will kill you so jesus is using that very deliberately so we can notice four things about the first thing being sown the sons of the kingdom they are the seed sown by jesus secondly god is described as their father thirdly they are called the righteous and fourthly the promise is that they will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father we can also notice three things about the sons of the evil one the seed sown by the devil they are seed sown by the evil one for his purposes they are characterized as those who do evil And in jesus's time that would have had two connotations one is that they weren't obeying the word of god Uh, they weren't doing what righteousness called for but also that they were in rebellion against the whole framework of god's revealed purposes for his people and lastly the destiny of the sons of evil is the fiery furnace so that brings us to the third question what will be the outcome of the fact that these two different seeds are sown together? And the interesting thing about this, which is perhaps the most shocking thing in this parable that we need to get our heads around, is that part of what is going to happen that Jesus tells us is that the wheat and the weeds will grow up together and they will coexist, and that is God's plan. The wheat and the weeds will grow up together and they will coexist, and that is God's plan, at least for a time until the end of the age. The great Presbyterian preacher James Montgomery Boyce said this If the devil is mixing his people in among the true Christians, we should be alert to that fact. We should not be surprised if the devil's people show up in strange places or eventually show their true colors. In the church by abandoning Christianity altogether. One of the interesting things about this is that you see in this parable that Jesus tells us that the sons of the devil and the sons of the kingdom are meant to coexist. And yet, for many of us, one of the things that we deal with, which has been a perennial problem for the church, is that we have longed for the premature destruction of evil people and their world. Jesus' idea of letting good and evil coexist side by side, even intertwined sometimes until the day of His final judgment, doesn't sit well with our desire to take God's justice into our own hands, where we often desire to meet it out on our own schedule and according to our own rules. The good thing about Jesus' warning here is that it reminds us that it is God's job, Jesus' job, to separate the wheat and the weeds on that final day. And if we do it too prematurely, we risk doing grave damage. Think of three great heroes of the faith. Saint Paul, think of Saint Paul's early life. Paul, who was a terror, To the early christians whose mission in life was to root out and destroy anyone who followed the way and to send them to death or saint augustine who didn't start off being called saint augustine augustine was famous for being dissolute and promiscuous for being the original party animal back in that city of kippo and having all sorts of terrible things going on in his lifestyle and not being remotely interested in the things of God. Or think of C.S. Lewis, that great evangelical atheist who throughout his 20s and 30s would tell anyone who listened that any self-respecting person who looked at the evidence would conclude that there is no God. And yet all three of these men were dramatically converted to the Christian faith through the work of the Holy Spirit and through other people in their lives. And it is a good reminder to us that when we look at this passage that its most distinctive feature is to warn us not to root out evil prematurely. That great Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle said this, the visible church is set before us as a mixed body. It is a vast field in which wheat and tears grow side by side in the church and in the world. We must expect to find believers and unbelievers, converted and unconverted, the children of the kingdom and the children of the wicked one, all mingled together in every congregation of baptized people. The purest preaching of the gospel won't prevent this. In every age of the church, the same state of things has existed. It was the experience of the early fathers. It was the experience of the reformers. There's never been a visible church or re- religious assembly of which all the members have been good wheat. The devil, that great enemy of souls, has always taken care to so- sow tares. But the point of that is not for us to start looking around at the person in the next pew and saying, aha, I always knew about you. Now, the point is that we need to focus on being good wheat. One of the things that we see in this parable is the understanding that the kingdom has come with Jesus, but the old age has not been eliminated. It is fading away, but it is still with us. The parable teaches us that there will one day be a day of separation between the godly and the ungodly at the end of the world. And God will bring his perfect justice to bear on that day. And those who have followed Jesus will shine like the sun in the glory of their father and all that is evil and wicked and twisted will be put away and God will wipe away every tear from the eyes of His people. So that is what we have to look forward to. But in the meantime, we live in that now and not yet, which brings us to the fourth question, how should we live if we take this parable seriously today? The first thing is that we must not be surprised by evil and by false teaching and even by false Christians, nor should we take God's justice into our own hands and timing the second thing is that it is incredibly important that we allow god's kingdom to shine through us to remember that we are sons and daughters of the kingdom when we come into a relationship with jesus christ he dwells in us through the presence of his holy spirit and calls us to bring that word of hope and of truth and of life to this dying world We are living in a culture characterized by anxiety and despair and meaninglessness and death. And we are called in the midst of that to remember Jesus' words when Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. We are the ones who are called to bring that word to shine like the sun, to be the good wheat. We are the sons and daughters of the kingdom. We have been sown by Jesus for a purpose. That is our identity and we must live into it. There's so much confusion about identity and our culture today. And it all goes right back to what we sang in our first canticle. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. God has made us. And Jesus, when we come into relationship with Him, our identity is that we are a son or daughter of the kingdom. That is a great identity and purpose. And we are sown into this world to give glory to Him, to live for Him, to offer the word of hope to this dying culture. We are the sons of the kingdom. But as the theologian Craig Blomberg put it, Perhaps the most dangerous thing today is not so much the premature removal of the weeds or evil from our society, but the reverse phenomenon, the premature removal of the wheat. Fewer and fewer Christians are actively involved in the world and in their communities, with Christians tending to withdraw, and live in a bunker mentality when they're only surrounded by their own and isolated from a dying world. And that brings this question for all of us, including the preacher, are you more preoccupied with cursing the darkness and blaming the weeds and trying to pull them out and pointing at those people over there and if they would just stop doing whatever that is that they are doing then everything would be okay are you more preoccupied with that or more preoccupied with doing all that you can to live following jesus being a son or daughter of the kingdom being that good seed that seed that is growing that has germinated where you've been planted that is growing up strong toward the sun toward that light of God's word and bringing fruit that will satisfy the hunger of those around you my friends Jesus says that we are the sons and daughters of the kingdom the ones who are holding out this gospel of truth and of love and of joy and of meaning and of purpose And if we hide, if we fail to produce the fruit, if the wheat bends over and hangs low, we will miss what God has planned for us. There's a beautiful song that is one of those uh, ones in contemporary Christian music that has thought-provoking words. And the chorus of the song says this, God put a million, million doors in this world for His love to walk through. One of those doors is you. Jesus, help us carry you alive in us. Your light shines through. With every act of love, we bring the kingdom come. And that is exactly what happens when you see Jesus walking on the roads of Israel, going through his ministry. Everywhere he goes, the kingdom of God breaks out in healing, and in teaching, and in joy, and in truth. It breaks out, and as we have Jesus in our hearts and indwelling us, the kingdom should break out where we go as well, because that is our call to be that good seed. There's a great reminder in this parable that we should take comfort, that there is a great and beautiful destiny for us, where we are told that we are going to shine like the sun. Think about the brilliance of the glory of the sun and a bright blue sky that Jesus uses that very image to talk about those who are his sons and daughters, that that will be our ultimate destiny. And it may be that we have that experience in this world, or it may be that when we are called to Jesus and ultimately in heaven, we have that experience. But the reminder is that you want to be in the center of the will of God. You want to be in the center of where Jesus has called you to bloom and produce fruit, to produce wheat, to be good wheat. Because there is no safer and more glorious and joyful place than the center of the will of God. Even if that means persecution and maybe even suffering and maybe even death, There is no safer place than right there, because you are living out what Jesus has made you for. A Lutheran theologian put it this way, the church and the world will always have people in them who, to use the phrase in today's gospel, are the children of the evil one. There are hypocrites, heretics, and unbelievers. They do not have the spirit of Jesus. They do not live for Him. They do not even try to walk in His ways. What are we to do? We cannot give up on them. So we have to walk a balance. Unbelievers in our life are a mystery growing in number. For them, there are at least two things we can do. We can pray for them. Just as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it is important that we pray even for those people that seem to us the most unlikely converts. Uh, We shared the story a few weeks ago of my friend in college who prayed daily for Alice Cooper, the mega rocker, who was perhaps the least likely person to ever convert to Christianity. But in fact, he did convert. So we are to pray for these people. And the other thing that we are to do is that we are to preach to them both through our words and through our manner of life, beckoning them to come and see, to come and see, to see the light of God's word, to see the joy and beauty and truth that is in the kingdom of God. But in some ways, our fundamental job is simply to remain wheat, no matter how many tares surround us, no matter how many weeds seem to be around us, but to remain wheat, wheat that knows how to be fed and how to grow wheat that is growing toward the sun whose roots are looking for the good water who are growing up into that fruit bearing stalk, who is able to give life to those around and then we are to entrust the rest to the Lord of the harvest he will preside over both the wheat and the tears according to his wisdom and his goodness and his timing In a few moments, we're gonna sing uh, a great hymn as we close this morning. And I'd like to just close as a prayer with these words from one of the stanzas. Come labor on, claim the high calling angels cannot share. Too young and old the gospel gladness bear. Redeem the time, it's ours too quickly fly. The night draws nigh. Oh Lord Jesus, we pray, that you would help us to be good wheat, and that you would remind us that we are sons and daughters of the kingdom, and that in that destiny, we would follow you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.